Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather. Political discussion from the outside may seem like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, this is Hugh. Three weeks in a row, baby. Yeah, we, this, is, this is the greatest streak it's a good in for us. podcast recording. Mm. Ah, I, we had reasons. There were, there were yeah. very difficult reasons why we couldn't record. Well, you laugh. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I am broken brain. I can't think. I can't think. Leave me alone. Well, what do you want why, from me? Why what do you, you want, need, pigs? Why did you need that <laughs> to pigs. record this? <laughs> yeah. I've um, I am fully back in to listen to LBC twenty four seven. Oh man, like that's the real streak. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm never going to beat the last streak, which was like over a decade of having it on twenty four seven, only not listening to it when I'm on holiday. <laughs> Even then, sometimes. I don't know. It is. It, 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 it must be self-harming. It's it's self-harm adjacent. I know. It, I know. The idea is that you like a voice on, mm-hmm. and you like a, a like a, a, a constant voice there, mm-hmm. and you don't. You're not really listening to it like sixty no. percent of the time. Yeah, but then like. Sometimes... But then of course you're listening to the most aggro thing mm-hmm. ever mm. when you do listen to it. Um, I apparently I muttered in my sleep about warmongers because <laughs> they were talking about Russia on as like as as I was falling asleep last night and I was just like wrapped up in my blanket going fucking warmongers everywhere uh, I look warmongers. Putin, Putin invading your dreams it is he's found a way of broadcasting himself directly he's invading my fucking dreams yeah Jesus listen to that man listen to that man like anyone from the Stop the War Coalition who thinks that you should go on to LBC to talk to any of these fucking people is an idiot. Is an actual idiot. You're not going to get a fair shake. Yeah. You're not going to even get to say anything because they do, can control your volume and they can just shout at you about you being a traitor. Do you know what it is? It's the very good advice of, on Twitter, hmm. don't engage with someone who you don't care about. Like, hmm. don't, if you wouldn't take advice from them, hmm. if you don't listen to their advice, don't respond to their stupidity. Yeah. Right? Except you've purposefully had it piped into your house. <laughs> yeah. And you can't respond in yeah. any way. No. The worst of all possible worlds. Yes. You just forced to me into mediocrity the whole time. Yeah. But, you know, then I get to hear, I'm going to find it because I sent it to you earlier, the amazing hot take from Giant Eye Brain today. Um, do I'll see, because we have too many separate chats that we have that are just me and you. It's incredible. It yeah. really is incredible. We have so many to be to be organised. But basically, I have a different folder for miniatures, a different folder for podcast stuff, and a different folder for my back hurts. <laughs> my back hurts. Ah, I feel bad for the Queen in the same way I feel sorry for Doc Cotton when Nick is up to his business. <laughs> James O'Brien. If I wasn't listening 24-7, I'd miss out on gold. I'm padding for gold. Yeah, there's a lot of poison there. I'm padding for gold in a radioactive wasteland. <laughs> there's no gold in there. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. It's horrible. And counting down days too, haven't we? So, on to important business this week. Uh, first up, we have Neil Coyle. Uh, <laughs> Bermondsey and old Southwark MP Neil Coyle uh, was suspended by the Labour Party last week after it emerged that he went on a sinophobic rant at a British-Chinese reporter in a Westminster bar. The day after he'd already been ex- expelled from that bar for being drunk and loud. 
And I had didn't to he, like shout at someone and was like fat phobic or something. He's he's done a number of things. I was trying to remember because like he's one again one of those who like pops up and will do something about Corbyn or mm. left or had to do, and. I struggle to remember. I then am asked about him, and I struggle to remember specifics. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can remember was obviously his huge fight to restore honour and dignity to the Labour Party, um, and the uh, new phone who dis messages to yep. Jeremy Corbyn is yep. the thing. I, the only thing I that particularly stands out. Yeah. Um, well, I feel I'm surprised that Neil Coyle hasn't drowned in the Thames because, like, his constituency is literally. Just down river hmm. from Strangers Bar. Yeah. And like, I'm going to be honest, I'd risk it. Like, if I was drunk, no. I would go to work with a canoe. The ten- and I would oh, so, right, okay. well, no, I wouldn't swim even it. I'm, so. not, I'm not silly because I know that, that river is gross. I'm not silly, I'm smart. I'm so smart. I'd get a canoe. So I'd have an inflatable dinghy <laughs> blowing it up. <laughs> Strangers Bar is like, shall we call you a taxi, sir? No, nah, I'm all right. Two days later, a hungover. Two days later, a hungover Hugh hoves into Rotterdam, <laughs> just like a little rubber ring, and then just hurl yourself in, and you, you know, at the right time with the tide, and you could probably just about time it. I pay one of your staffers to have a big hook waiting to <laughs> pull you in, <laughs> just like drunk or well, can you come and get me? <laughs> Bring <on>. a hook. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying I would have risked it. So maybe he's a better man than I. Uh, I don't think that's true. No, I don't think it's true. The, the specific allegations were that uh, Coyle was drinking with a group of people and uh, the, this British-Chinese uh, reporter um, came up to him and start, uh, Coyle started talking about uh, the Chinese spy slash donor hmm. that was apparently paying Barry Gardner um, a load of money. Hmm. Um, he made a remark suggesting that Gardner was being paid by Fu Manchu uh, the reporter pushed back at this. Coyle asked if it was the case that I was being oversensitive before saying that he would apologise if he had said something bad and it wasn't just me being sensitive, which I believe, which the reporter believed was insincere. He then said he had relatives of Chinese descent. Uh, the reporter responded by saying that they were British Chinese, to which Coyle responded that he could tell from how you look like you've been giving Ren Minby to Barry Gardner. Hmm cool it's so fun i'm surprised he was able to like you know to respond in the moment because like i've been in those situations when you've been when you've been abusing a chinese person well when you're around someone when you hear like really quite vintage racism Mm. like fu manchu yeah that's like i would have been like i would have been staring probably with my mouth open for five minutes he would have walked off in in a in a week where you've been we've been thinking about kind of like uh anti uh, traveller racism, hmm. anti-GRT racism, and that's been put up very prominently hmm. in front of you. And you start thinking about the hierarchy of racisms. Hmm. And anti-Asian specifically, like anti-Chinese and, and Japanese and Korean racism. And where that falls in the hierarchy, hmm. obviously it shouldn't. Hmm. This is not <laughs> it's not a recommendation, not an endorsement of the hierarchy. It's not an endorsement. But it falls somewhere between like anti-South Asian racism and like anti anti-traveller racism in that like so the anti-South Asian racisms are like, haha, well we all used to do those stereotypes. They were horrifying, weren't they? They, mm. they were so bad, they were terrible. Anti-traveller racism, which is 
the stereotypes are all true and actively mm. like practiced all the time, always, and I shouldn't have to apologize for it. Yeah. And like anti anti like East Asian racism seems to fall somewhere in between it is that in that people know that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. They check themselves, but then seem to get slightly resentful that they've had to abandon the television programs of their youth. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the amount of t- the amount <clears throat> of time they saw it on TV somehow excuses it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the anti-Chinese like the it gets worse all the time as China becomes. The big as becomes a bigger boogeyman, it becomes perfectly acceptable. It's so weird because, like, you look at you look at that. It's, it's correct because you look at press reports when that is when when Christine Lee, the um, Chinese spy or whatever, mm. um, you would look at the press reports around like Christine Lee, and you would legitimately believe that she somehow influenced the minds of humans through ancient Qi techniques or yeah. something. It's like. She it wormed her way into places of influence, yeah. and it's like, yeah, she gave politicians a bunch of money. Yeah. How the fuck do you think this thing works? Yeah. yeah, of course she was able to get a seat with an MP. Yeah, <laughs> it happens all of the time. It's not some like complicated, dastardly scheme. No. And you know what? The whole thing with Chinese spies is so fucking funny because it's like, yeah, do you do you not think there are a bunch around mm. everywhere? Yeah, like. For the last 20 years, like, China's been after, like, technical knowledge and stuff to take back. And it's like, yeah, they're going to get it. Well, yeah. you know, you're not going to stop them. You're never going to stop them. Cause... Well, like, every country does. The only countries that don't have and, spies uh, yes. can't afford spies. Yeah. Every single country do. And it is funny how in this new burgeoning Cold War, the main way that you can heroically fight for democracy is by putting your fingers up to your eyes and stretching your eyelids out. Mm. How, how else are you going to fight it? You yeah. Know? I imagine he reached to that because he, like, Coyle reached towards that because he thought he was like, he thought he was like the Beatles in the Cold War, defeating, <laughs> defeating communism he's through loud, culture. He's a loudmouth, drunken blaggart. I think <laughs> blaggart is the right word for him. Yeah. Blaggart? Braggart? I don't know. Braggart. He's like, he's one of those guys and like, I think in past times, his indiscretions, let's say. Mm-hmm. would probably have gone unnoticed a little bit more. I, I think that, but no, he would have had the reputation, but there wouldn't have been quite the, uh, there wouldn't have been the frequency. Mm. Because I think something that's happened over the past few years is that you've seen kind of MPs becoming more independent. We've talked about that. Like they've mm-hmm. become more independent. The whip system is sort of slightly breaking down it was it broke down during kind of corbyn's era mm. you know he was i think he was one of the people to defy the three-line whip on one or two occasions so and, and well that was the that was mm. the thing that like got everyone supporting him mm. and that like sense of invincibility that those people yeah. have got from yeah from there was a bunch of ousting who, corbyn there was a bunch of people who got this who had way they got praised way too much and very much believe their own hype. Yeah, they got like they got blank checks mm. from the likes of Remain campaigns mm-hmm. and you know anti-Semitism campaigners and mm-hmm. things like and campaigns and things like that. They got let's say figurative blank checks yeah. to behave as rottenly as they wanted, mm. as long as they were on that side and opposing the right people. And mm. like, I wonder if how they deal with Neil Coyle will show like whether they're 
actively recognizing that this actually is kind of becoming a problem mm. for them yeah. now. Yeah. Because with this newfound independence, the whip system breaking down, how are you supposed to prevent someone who really, say one MP or two MPs really, really disagree with something that one of the parties brings in? And starts making a fuss because they were told that they were ever so brave and they were defending democracy yeah. when they did it under Corbyn. Well, you had that um, the Peter Mandelson thing. Did you see that? The um, saying that the all the left wing MPs need to like pretty much sign a contract that they're going to vote in line with the party and um, agree to everything that's um, decided at the next conference that will be in the next election manifesto because there's a worry that. If they win, it won't be a huge majority, and yeah. so they'll need to make sure that they're not being held over a barrel. And because I think that's part of the larger problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think they're looking at the likes of the people who are going like the social campaign group. They're just a bunch of cowards, and they'll all just fall into line. Um, whereas the likes of Neil Coyle and well, Margaret Hodge is going, but you know those people. Yeah. Will do whatever the fuck they want. They're yeah. the ones that you need to control. Because, because they were told for years that they like yeah. for what I mean. I know like centrism. It, we use words like kind of um, milk toast and mm. you know uh, compromising when we describe it. And I feel like it's been probably wrong for a little bit. Yeah. That of course the ideologies they proclaim, as we'll discuss a bit later, are usually quite extreme. Mm-hmm. In fact, but at the same time. The fact that they are able to be called kind of are able to kind of conceive of themselves as warriors mm-hmm. and defenders of something mm-hmm. bigger than themselves yeah. has is really like the best hard on they've ever had, mm-hmm. and getting them back into that box and trying to tack them back into a whip system when they've had this taste of independence is going to be fucking really difficult. I mean. I've been thinking about it with Stella, like mm. in particular, like mm. this th- these past few months, like the number of things she's put out there as herself, mm-hmm. not as a member of the Labour Party, and not really calling publicly anyway on any Labour Party resources, mm. but going it's to use a wrestling term, going into business for yourself, mm. and it's I think it's one of the ways that that whole period has kind of played out with MPs, and one of them is. Neil Coyle feeling it's absolutely okay to go on a massive racist rant. And it's not a problem. Mm. Oh, we spent six mm. years fighting the worst kinds of racism under Corbyn. And then he just goes out and does that. And then immediately going on to GB News. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, okay, look. I know I was drunk and I said some things I shouldn't have. So I'm going to go on the racist channel that no one watches. Not even <laughs> the racists watch it. Because they're all with me listening to LBC. <laughs> but you go straight on there to tell the three people who are still watching. And it's like, oh my god. Yeah, because he, he doesn't care. He's doing yeah, because also, like, he can't use the. Presumably, he can't use whatever scheduled media appearances or, or mm. media apparatus the Labour Party have to get on something that people actually watch, like yeah. BBC or Sky or something. Yeah. So, of course, he has to go and organise it for himself. And he's getting ready for, if he doesn't get let back in, going into. Work for GB News, probably. Hell yeah. Or something else. So next up, we're going to talk about uh, Cressida Dick. (laughs) Resigned (laughs) last week. Surprise. I did not not think that would happen. So, So that being said, 
I thought that she was probably invincible because I thought she would have been gone a long time ago. I thought she was going to go with the the Sarah Everard protest. You would you would think that, but then she's proved, ironically, bulletproof mm-hmm. um, against so many of these uh, the scandals that she's had. And mm-hmm. I think I think there was something about because um, Sadiq Khan had his "I am putting Cressida his starmerism, I am putting Cressida Dick on notice." Yeah, which we laughed at. You're in my like, sights. What, what's he running do? away from me? Yeah. Your backpack on. Um, but uh, on Thursday, uh, she resigned, stating that the mayor no longer has sufficient confidence in my leadership. Mm-hmm. Which was a weird, like... Also I implies that it was ever his, in his job to have her there. I don't know that that is the case. Because he doesn't... He recommends, mm-hmm. and he advises, and mm-hmm. he sets the plan. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have direct control over like hiring and firing on top police jobs because no. it's the I mean obviously like the Met it must be the Home Office and it's mm. you know a political appointment yeah. but I it's very interesting how she has felt I'm surprised that was didn't... the time especially knowing like I am no big fan of Sadiq Khan mm-hmm. um, well, he's I, going around giving knives out to children I, I'm, I'm especially not a fan of that <laughs> but that little kind of thing of very much placing all the blame on the mayor. And then the um, Met Police Federation came out and tried to do a US police union-style intervention by saying that they didn't have any faith in Sadiq Khan. Yeah. Well, it's presumably because... I mean, also, you know, they've got to defend with all... uh, uh, contend with all the uh, defund the police because they've been defunded so much (laughs) because all those protests worked so well that they've been so defunded that, I mean, they're they're barely even an organisation anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, the the Met Police Federation um, said that uh, they accused politicians of using policing and the career of the country's most senior police leader to deflect from their own failings. Not quite sure how that works. Uh, This is not a move we take lightly. Officers in London feel saddened and angry that the Commissioner Cressida Dick has been pushed out in the way that she has. She was reforming. She was changing. The culture is changing. I sorry no I've heard it so many times no. I've heard it so many fucking times yeah she's been there for fucking years she's been there since 2016 that's a long time man. Uh, maybe 2017 and actually. if anything it's gotten worse it's like I think that's the final when you have every Met Police Commissioner since the um, McPherson report has to contend with that as its base level mm. right and you assume that the all of the kind of PR that they do community policing and mm. uh Policing by consent, well, that's an older idea, I guess, but it is all to deflect from the idea that they are a US style police force, mm-hmm. that they are that doesn't happen over here, mm-hmm. you know. And you get stuff like the continued use of stop and search, which she yep. defended, Cresta Dick defended really heavily. She did. You get the uh, Sarah Everard case and the response, which. Um, which really like showed how they are not changing. I think one yeah. of the things she said afterwards was, uh, yeah, it was on the day that um, Wayne Cousins pleaded guilty. Um, she was she was talking to the uh, Women's Institute and she said, I have 44,000 people, this is Cresta Dick said this, I have 44,000 people working in the Met. Sadly, some of them are abused at home, for example, and sadly, on occasion, I have a bad one. Hmm. Hmm. Which is weird. How... Is that 
how is that the way to deal with that? Yeah. Like, that's not it changing. That's it getting worse and mutating in ways that, yeah. you know, maybe you couldn't predict it. Maybe you didn't know it was going on in that particular thing. But if that can go on, your reforms aren't fucking working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I had a brief look over her career because, like, I've, I've seen various things about her. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the Jean-Charles de Menezes thing mm-hmm. where she was the gold commander in charge of it. Um, and... It always, it always makes me kind of laugh because they were found guilty of... They had an open verdict registered, which they don't get that often in inquiries. Yeah. Um, and the Met weren't found guilty of breaking any laws, but they were found guilty of breaking elfin safety. <laughs> running with a <laughs> to gun. To the extreme. <laughs> it was stuff like they were not coached properly, they were not briefed properly, they were in the wrong positions, and they shot an innocent man in yeah. the back. Um. And, you know, going through it, and you remember things like she didn't have a great uh, rapport with her, um, pre- the previous commissioner, mm-hmm. um, Bernard Hogan Howe, and she was actually, she actually quit um, in 2015, hmm. the police. She de- de-bonded, or whatever the, the term is for when they leave, like leaving the priesthood. Does she, um, does she get uh, given a book of the law and go wander <laughs> off into the wastelands of a gun? Well, interestingly, that's probably slight, ever so slightly closer in uh, metaphor terms. Um she went to the foreign office and, hmm. you know, weird. Um, what did she do there? The question yeah. you might ask is, no one knows. Um, right, okay, heavy quote marks around this okay. uh, because we literally know nothing. Um, this is mostly stuff I've gleaned from Declassified and Ian Cobain, pro follow, follow Ian Cobain, author of The History Thieves. Um, she joined MI6. Huh. Um the foreign office in quote marks you there were uh, inquiries made at the time about what her um what her role was what her salary was all things that if she's in the government should be public knowledge uh, they refuse freedom of information requests hmm. at the time they also just so happened to be investigating uh mark allen who was the head of mi6 for renditioning people to go and be tortured in gaddafi what was then gaddafi's libya hmm. And afterwards, the Crown Prosecution Service, they they were handed uh, 30,000 pages of document by the Met who were investigating this uh, literal crime against humanity. Yeah. And they decided it wasn't worth pursuing. And then in hmm. 2017, Cresta Dick got made uh, head of the head of the Met, Met Police Commissioner. I'm just, I, I don't think there's anything. Oh, and she oversaw the uh, investigation into The Guardian over the uh, Edward Snowden leaks. She was uh, front and centre on that in 2011. Oh, when they went in and they started um, taking people's computers. Yeah, where they made them smash up under GCHQ. They had GCHQ officers in the Guardian buildings and they made the journalists smash up the hard drives. In a. And weird, you know, the Guardian's been a lot more sensible since. I also think it's kind of strange that, you know, just at the time when it was very... Like, everyone was focused on... I know everyone's forgotten about Partygate already, predictably. But also the traditional British state hopscotch between... Can't talk about it because there's going to be a report. The report Mm. can't talk about it because there's going to be an investigation. The investigation can't go on because we don't have a Met Police Commissioner. Nothing happened. Yeah. And, you know, okay, fine. Like, it was Partygate. I don't... I, I... I kind of genuinely don't give a shit about it. Yeah. But at the same time, watching it in motion and yeah. to have no one particularly comment on that or yeah. a lot of people comment on it and nothing happen. Yeah. Eh, morale, low, galling, <laughs> all other kinds of words. The main thing I remember about her is, like, yeah, she literally burst into 
our attention with the death of Jean, the murder of Jean Charles de Menezes, and then just gradually got talked about more until she was in charge. I think of like, and I'm a bit disgusted by the. I can't believe that Boris, the man, lied, and this woman has had to suffer, and she's getting given a lot of money as well. Oh yeah, she'll go into the Lords or something. Yeah, and she got given a huge chunk of money, and it's like she's a piece of shit. Because it's interesting because. Obviously, she like she was raised in Oxford. She was in the same class at university. She was in the same college as um, Peston and, and <laughs> Boris and Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she's very much of the establishment in that sense. Yeah. But that Met Police Commissioner role has obviously changed since there's been a London Mayor. It's slightly yeah. reconfigured because they're not just the London Police. It, yeah. it would be maybe simpler to sum up her kind of that kind of role where it lies in the state if it were just London because mm. okay you're head of the most important yeah. city you're more of a PR role but the fact that the Met has all of these jobs investigating other branches of government because yeah. we have absolutely no fucking checks and balances and safeguards yeah. in any other part of the constitution other than have the Met Police work out whether it's a crime oh it wasn't a crime mm-hmm. and Serving her serving as that lightning rod. I don't remember her particularly her her sexuality or her gender. Her, it was celebrated, I think, as part of it. But was it ever? Did you ever remember it being used as a um, shield in the same way as the Pretty Patel thing is I, used as a shield when she's brutalizing people at the border? I heard her sexuality being used once, and that was when that was like personally with people I know when arguing about the, me saying that there should be no cops at Pride. Huh. It's like... I wonder if that. I wonder if that's cops. good enough. I wonder if that's good enough for their purposes that even if you can deflect that a little bit. Mm. But you know, I don't like that kind of instrumentalisation but like, no, I'm not the person um, doing it. Do you yes, know what I mean? I've seen more of them using the, you know, Yas Queen, Cressida. Yeah, yeah, there has been a little bit more of that, but but it's she'll only disappear and they won't talk about it. And then it's only the customary gets... cultural praise when someone powerful leaves office, yeah. which seems to be the only thing people ever, the only time people ever like get excited about yeah. that kind of thing. She'll go into the Lords, and she'll go into the Lords after Boris is gone, and she'll say something mean about him in a speech, and everyone will say, "Wow." She's sort of like a, treated as a professional as well. Yeah. In that she is a political... Like, the Met Commissioner is a political appointment. Oh, yeah. I've heard people talk about how, how much of an amazing policewoman she is. Like, an actual... Yeah. Like, an, like she's Poirot. <laughs> but... And um, Poirot was only a Belgian policeman. Only for a short time before the war. <laughs> but then all I've said... I heard, I've heard... Okay. One of the benefits of listening to LBC, I get to listen to a lot of the opinions of policemen. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> policemen, taxi drivers... All of life's rich tapestry. Um, but a lot of cops, like, they talk about how popular she was. And she was very popular with very high-up policemen. She was not at all yeah. popular with a lot of other policemen. Really? Yeah, no, they didn't huh. like her. But that could have been, you know, going off, like, um, WhatsApp groups again released. It probably was because she <laughs> yeah. was a woman. <laughs> if you're going to look for misogyny in this country, I'd go straight to the Met. <laughs> Just trying to work out the, the kind of position that that role hmm. holds in the state and how it's reconfigured since, I don't know, New Labour, mm-hmm. Brexit, mm-hmm. whatever marker you want to do, the state, how the state changes over time yeah. and the, the people that occupy those roles change. And like, 
it's funny that you trace a direct line from like Charles de Menezes through to Mark Dugan to Sarah Everard and all you get is despite all of the reform and all of the transparency and mm. all of the things, all you get is shutting down. Yeah. She um, uh, nobbled the, um, I think it was Operation Midland it's called. Do you mm. know Daniel Morgan, the journalist yeah. who was found in that car park with, with, a a hatchet. Hat, with a hatchet in his head? Yeah. When he was investigating corrupt police officers back in the late 80s, mm-hmm. um, she hobbled that inquiry. Yeah. And it's it's the same thing. And this sense. She was right to do that. That hatchet, it didn't have any of the met markings on it. It wasn't a police issue. It wasn't issue. a hatchet, police it was issue. To do with the, yeah. <laughs> the police issue hatchets are very different. They're a different kind of hatchet. It's an extendable hatchet. Oh, God. <laughs> now they had to get rid of them because they, they would so injure themselves all the time. Yeah. They'd be playing with them and just cut off their own foot. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that, yeah, it's, it's something that sits at that perfect locus of British obsessions, which is, it's not quite a... It's a political appointment that mm. is a profession. Mm-hmm. Starmer is probably going to suffer from the same thing when they start ramping up the DPP, yeah. his role at the DPP, mm. which is both a political thing and a, a professional thing. Yeah. Only a professional can do it, but it's a political appointment. Yeah. And that the British's love of professional people and admiring them with that acting as a shield against political concerns because that's a political role it should yeah. how do we not have more oversight and control over that role and i mean the reason is because they the police will do this kind of thing the closest you get is well the most important person in the most important politician that's london only yeah will just get briefed to shit and will get roasted by everybody because they've already released the stuff that they think, you know, he already gets shit over the fact that everyone thinks it's descending into a knife crime hell. Mm. And that's his fault. Mm. And then they leave, they lead with kind of that criticism specifically of the mayor. Mm. It's classic. Okay, for our main topic this week, it is time. Rub your thighs. It's time. It's time. It's invasion time. Yeah. Uh, grab, rub your thighs, grab your cigars, and grab your Anthony Beaver. It's time to be incredibly brave and get on the side of the world's most powerful war machine as it withdraws in the face of a middling second power. Um, Kistama wrote a an article in the Guardian about his position on. No, I know, I know what you're about to say. On Ukraine, it's not really his position on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's a much more important matter. It's his position on Stop the War, the mm-hmm. Stop the War campaign. The secretive group that control nearly every facet of British democracy. It's true. Very disreputable, very abhorrent, yeah. very anti-West. Yeah. You They're up there with Amnesty International for one of the most reviled organisations <laughs> the world has ever seen, apparently. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to go through a few bits here, not all of it, um, Thank you. not too long. It starts, of all the great achievements of the 1945 Labour government, <laughs> okay. one stands out on the world stage. Yeah, it does. The NHS may have had the greatest impact on our daily lives, but it is the creation of NATO that yeah, ushered is, in baby. what is now approaching three quarters of a century of peace between the nations of Europe. Probably I my fucking... dad for three years. Yeah. Thank you, NATO. <laughs> I love it. You love all of the they everybody, everybody, everybody goes on about fucking Atley. 
I'm so mm-hmm. fucking sick of it. Mm-hmm. If you love Atlee so much, mm-hmm. do some of the things he did. Do some Atlee. I don't know. He's your lodestar. He's your hero that you mm. want to emulate. He's your reason for being in politics. Just do one fucking thing that he did. Not that one. <laughs> Not that one. No collective bargaining, public housing. No, no. prison reform. No. Oh no, just just war. Just, just war. rearmament. All that. Yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, it continues. The threat to Ukraine is real and pressing. More than 130,000 Russian troops menace its border. Russian combat battalions, tank divisions, and air squadrons have massed, flaunting their capability of a full-scale invasion. His hang on. His mum was like really sick, like yes. a lot of her life, and the NHS was integral in her having any form of a life. Mm. Like helped her on a daily basis, mm. but Cold War posturing. <laughs> If if the if the Russian tank battalions had crossed the whatever river goes through Berlin, <laughs> but the NHS then, kept her body okay, but it was NATO that kept, who kept her, her spirit alive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> what a fucking cunt. Um, for now, Putin's final intentions are uncertain. The flexing and threatening of Russia's de- destructive capacity are not. The prospect of a bloody and unjust war looms over Ukraine. Okay, like. I don't. I'm somewhat interested in the kind of terms of, that people keep referring to the Ukraine conflict, and there's a lot of there's a fair number of different kind of opinions over exactly what's going on. Not that many, mm-hmm. not that many, but there are some. And if you look at it, like 130,000 Russian troops, right? Mm-hmm. The U.S. and the coalition forces mounted about 300,000 troops to mm-hmm. invade Iraq, which is different from invading and occupying, right? Mm-hmm. Iraq had a population of about 24 million in 2000, spread over about 169,000 square miles. Okay. Up. Um, Ukraine has a population of 41 million, spread over 220,000 square miles. The US couldn't successfully occupy Iraq with that many troops. Mm-hmm. And it's just worth keeping that in mind when these people are imagineering their war scenarios and yep. exactly what is capable. Because I imagine... You know, hey, look, Putin and Russia are capable of of, uh, having exactly the same fantasies as, like, Western countries. Exactly the same war fantasies. But, so far, if you examine examine Georgia and, you know, Belarus and various other... The Donbass and Ukraine in 2014, hasn't really seemed that keen to look like he's committing troops just all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I mean? The thing is... I know what you mean Anything's about possible, how they couldn't but... hold Iraq with that many troops, but in Ukraine they're white, and they will wave NATO flags and <laughs> Union Jacks and stars and stripes. Well, actually, looking at the um, look at some of the troop battalions, some of the volunteer troops I've seen there, they'll be like waving the stars and bars more likely, <laughs> um, and they'll just be really grateful and they'll be really happy. I literally heard a um, the ambassador from Ukraine to Britain mm. on I think Ian Dale's show talking about how people wave Union Jacks in the street and it's like I'm, how stupid do you think fucking I am? Fucking pathetic. Re-rehearsing World War 2 and re-rehearsing the Cold War perhaps mm. even more dangerously mm-hmm. is so fucking dumb. You can see it in the way like he says like 
Russian combat battalions, tank divisions, and air squadrons have massed. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me realise how much people have really, with the War on Terror, how much people have missed like the more tactile, tactical mm. imagery sensations of, of like proper ground, massed ground warfare. Yeah. You know, for 20 years in the War on Terror, it was all like cyber warfare, yeah. drone strikes, yep. guerrilla warfare, police actions, yeah. the ideal, the civilizational battle, yeah. the but ideological battle. Our tank versus their and tank. And now we get to have like maps yes. and moving things across big boards. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all the thing about like troop training and all the videos of like Russian soldiers doing exercises on the border and popping up at the thing. They love it. They can't mm. get enough of it. Yeah, it's disgusting how much like all the hacks fucking oh they just cream themselves over and it. It does. It it plays into this idea that like this movement from Russia is the quote unquote new aggression. Mm -hmm. It's like a proper war. Yeah, it's militarization for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that let's face it, the West has been funding and waging this kind of war from like Yemen to Central Africa. Yeah, all across the world for like the last. 20 years not when let's not even talk about the pre the cold war mm -hmm. just because of the war on terror and just the recent bout of militarization yeah. directed towards a specific purpose the west has been fucking everywhere doing that it's not new mm -hmm. the reason why putin feels like he might be able to get away with this is because there aren't any rules anymore mm. you broke them you broke them you mm. people mm. um Starmer continues, Nobody wants war. At first glance, some on the left may be sympathetic to those siren voices who condemn NATO. But no, you know how he said it. It's like, no one wants war. <laughs> Licking his lips. No one wants war. Need it. But to condemn... Like, no one wants that last for a Russia, but they're still going to take it. But to condemn NATO is to condemn the guarantee of democracy and the security it brings, and which our allies in Eastern and Central Europe are relying on, as the sabre-rattling from Moscow grows ever louder. Now, no doubt there is a certain calculation from Putin on putting that those troops on mm -hmm. the border. I hate having to do that proviso, mm -hmm. because I don't know who I'm arguing against when I do it, you know, but I'm arguing against somebody who's going, are you denying that Russia's being aggressive? It's like, no, I'm not denying Russia's right. being aggressive. What I'm saying is it's great power politics, which, as a socialist, you should have quite a schooling in how to deftly weave your way through the fact that you don't like any of them. You don't have to have a side in this because it is fucking the ruling class fighting each other no, using working class I'm soldiers. Gonna, I'm going to just go with what Paul Mason tells me. <sighs> And aside from anything, the whole sabre-rattling thing, the West, Western papers have been able to talk about nothing else. Nothing. They fucking love it to a degree that shocked me. Yeah, like last night. If I believed the press, last night, I could have been going to... I should have been going to sleep. If I believed them, I should have been going to sleep expecting to wake up to war. Two Russian troops in Kiev. Yeah. They were going to either engineer a coup or yeah. they were going to directly invade... Hmm. Um, the suggestion was that like maybe they might try and peel off a city in the same way that they did with Donbass, mm. right? And it's like, well, uh, yeah, but also they didn't, did they? Mm. But there was definitely, it was a, this will happen on Wednesday. Yeah. This will happen, this is definitely going to happen next week. I think the mail Wednesday. said at one, one in the morning. Yeah. Um, so much so that I don't know, again, if this got put out there, but there was like the Ukrainian foreign minister i think and the prime minister 
saying, please, can you stop talking up invasion? I think at one point they demanded um, from some state department uh, informant who'd said there was going to be an invasion on Wednesday to say, can you like share the intelligence you have that this is going to happen? <laughs> We'd like to know. We'd like to know if this is going to happen because yeah. we don't know. Yeah. Like, obviously, they're not confident in the yeah. face of that. But, like, yeah. it's... the this this idea that saber rattling is the sole provenance of bad enemies mm. bad people Definitely. it's like you've been doing nothing else mm-hmm. starmer continues that's why the likes of stop the war coalition are not benign voices for peace now note there what does he say he says the likes hmm. of stop the war not just stop the war the likes of stop the war don't name any other names even though you know who they are and who you're trying to hit, just cast that net as wide as possible. Yeah. Just keep going. There's a definite feeling I have with well, this. Well, he's learned something about, about like kind of um, evidenceless, groundless smearing yeah. in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's definitely a thing here where, like, like, I don't know, I've never read enough of Starmer's stuff, and I haven't really seen enough of him in person to know exactly who writes his speeches and who writes his stuff. There's something in this that Isn't I that Phil Co- Philip Phil Collins. Yeah, Philip Collins is yeah. that is I think one of the speechwriters. But there's something in this that is so aggro. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's no. And Does I, it read and like it was written by a Labour councillor? It 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 sounds like you know the kind of Labour councillor or Labour MP who would get tanked up in a Chinese restaurant and can't start casting around slurs. Yeah, you know. Um. It's weird as well, the Stop the War thing. I don't, again, I hadn't heard from them very much in the last, like, few years. Yeah. Obviously, they pop, I guess they pop up whenever there's the possibility of Western intervention. Yeah. Western military intervention. And they get sense. told the same thing. Why aren't Syria, you protesting Libya. against Russia? Yeah. Um, but what the last kind because they immediately went for them. Mm. All of the agrocentrists on Twitter immediately yeah. went for Stop the War as a focal point of anti-war uh, protest and, and the yeah. anti-war movement. Mm-hmm. They went against. They went immediately started coming out with new definitions of imperialism. Yep. And they went specifically against stop the war. Yeah. Um, which just struck me as like, yeah, I remember when they were a they were considered a firmly legitimate liberal mm-hmm. organization during yeah. the the war on terror. Well, did the kiss time of code to stop things? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I remember that... Like he it, was at BDS things. I'm sure he's been at both. <laughs> I mean, I'd forgotten that when Corbyn became leader, that was like the first big um, thing that they got really stroppy about. Yeah, they Because it. you had like Tristram Hunt saying, a thoroughly disreputable organisation. It's like, what the fuck? You could have written an article. I mean, you wouldn't have because you weren't that, but you weren't that politician, but you could have written an article for them and you wouldn't have blinked twice. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Murray got a uh, head of Stop the War got into the Guardian to mm. rebut what Starmer said after this article, mm-hmm. and makes sense. But that was very, very common. Yeah, in well, that time, a... because that was a liberal. They... Not going to war was a liberal cause. Yeah, they hate it. Mediated though. international politics was a liberal cause. <laughs> they hate it because it was big. It was a lot of people who didn't want to go to war in Iraq. Lots of people. And then there were a bunch of stupid hacks who were like, nah, I believe them. I, I, like, I, like, I want some war. Um, and then they were proven to be completely wrong and completely like tricked 
or their excuse had been completely taken out from under them yeah. and it embarrassed them. Yeah. Like, they, you know, like how Corbyn, like there's a lot of people who lost their minds over Corbyn because there's a whole lot, there's a whole load of people. Like the, the kind of guy who lost their mind is like a Gen Xer, older Gen Xer, who always saw themselves as left-wing and progressive until the actual opportunity to vote for any kind of thing that would impact them financially, like take away a little bit of theirs and actually do some good in the world. That happened and it really brought into like sharp, contrast that they're not actually that left wing and then they lost their it, minds because it destroyed yeah. this this pillar of their identity and the war did that for a lot of people who yes. thought that they were liberal and then it turned out that oh actually no i just really like to see brown people explode it, it, it was like you know those like um like reverts people who, who are raised in a faith and become mm. like uh, become a kind of classic and yeah. then go back to the faith mm. or you know straight up converts to the faith it was very much like i'd never really thought about how western i was until i had children yeah you know <laughs> yeah um, Starmer continues at best they are naive at worst they actively give succour to authoritarian leaders who directly threaten democracies now that's a very weird thing for a lawyer to say because yes. I am pretty sure there are a number of laws against people actively giving succour maybe yeah. not actively giving succour in those words but suggesting that you are doing that that, that, that speaking out against war is actively breaking the law yeah. Against funding or supporting. I mean, come on. This is te- terrorism. They mean fucking terrorism yeah. because yeah. that's. But they don't have the language for great power conflict, so they're reaching back into the war on terror era. If you're going to complain about someone like legitimizing the worst dictators in the world and giving them some kind of credibility, then surely you just go straight for Tony Blair, who is literally pictured with every single one of the world's greatest monsters. <laughs> There is nothing progressive in showing solidarity with the aggressor when our... I should try and do a Starmer voice at some point. I haven't heard him enough. Never mind. There is nothing progressive... I'll make you, I'll make you listen. I'll send you a load of clips and I'll get you... Indo- okay. Like, I'll send you a load and you can work on a Starmer impression for next week. Yeah, so our, our award show's coming up, so I'll try yeah. and do one for then, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is nothing progressive in showing solidarity with the aggressor when our allies need our solidarity and, crucially, our practical assistance. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think they give a shit about solidarity. They give a, a shit about actually helping you. Now more than ever, the knee-jerk reflex, reflex, Britain, Canada, the United States, France, wrong, their enemies, right, is unthinking conservatism at its worst. A, Canada? I, don't I think Canada think probably. think people are criticising. I mean, Canada will be part of it, I'm sure, but... They probably, there's probably a part of the war in Canada. I don't think of UK anti-war people specifically targeting Canada. Canada. Yeah, we've got bigger targets. <laughs> I mean, Australia, for a start, always offer way more support. Yeah, they always want or to be Or as involved. much support. They want to know? be involved. And it's always... It's like that guy who wants to come out on the night out, but it's like, yeah, but you live, like, way too far away, mate. You're not going to get here in time. <laughs> this is a taxi with you. This, this like... This uh, anti-Americanism is mm. conservative. Yeah. It's just war on terror shit. It is. Absolutely amazing. Having done the 9-11 episodes mm. a few weeks ago, and the either you're with us or you're with the terrorists shit, mm-hmm. it's just it's exactly the same as the weeks after 9-11. Yeah. You know? Raising the very history of Cold War mm-hmm. subversion and anti-imperialism and imperialism was yeah. actively being anti-American and helping jihadis. Yeah. What the fuck? I just like, and actually, like, I'm the real radical for sticking by the most powerful <laughs> entity that has ever existed. I know they've taken some L's recently, and by recently I mean the last 50 years, militarily. But 
the largest war machine this planet has ever seen, ever. Nine times the size of the like next uh, ten militaries combined. Yeah. Infinite spending. Infinite everything. I do like that it's like within this, within a week of, okay, look, going to have to suspend you, Neil Cole, for implying that all Chinese people work together and are spies. Now, back to my article where I smear anyone who doesn't like organised mass slaughter as a terrorist. <laughs> you all just love Putin. <laughs> Atlee, Bevin and Healy saw communism for what it was and were prepared oh. to stand up to its aggression. What was it, Keir? What was the aggression, Keir? I don't want to get into this whole thing because that could that's a whole discussion of itself, but... What was there? What was Soviet aggression, Kier? After twenty million casualties, after a civil war, after a first world war, was propping up governments in a sphere of influence which both sides did, mm. and uncovering an actual plan to invade your country for the third time in thirty years <laughs> after you'd just been allies—is that aggression? It is. Of course, it is. Today's Labour Party has the same clear-eyed view of the current regime in the Kremlin. We know, as they did, that bullies respect only strength. Number one, I think there's very few people who have a clear-eyed view of what the Russian regime actually is. Segal does. Considering that, well, no, I think he thinks it's exactly the thing, he just likes it. Because <laughs> it's either like an evil wizard in a tower directing like stuff across the continent, yeah. or it's just the actual Soviet Union. <laughs> not an incarnation, not the same yeah. pattern, the actual communist Soviet Union, which gets... He said way more often than I think anyone has fully grappled with yeah. the mass delusion of that. Yeah. Those journalists would get really mad if you said that America is is is, is the same now under um. Actually, it is the same now to Biden. But you know, if you said if, Britain, if if you said Major's Britain or Thatcher's yeah. Britain, yeah, you know what I mean. You would get fully half of the people who wish to defend the UK at any cost who will who, mm. will, who will spring for that kind of stuff. Mm. You will immediately get them to say no, it's not that. Yeah, and. Yet, <laughs> I don't think anyone has a clear idea of exactly what um, like the, what the, Russia is. Songs... That's the, that's the problem. You can't you can't get a a correct reading on what the Russian regime is. So you don't know what you're facing. And the prob the reason why you don't get a clear eyed uh, look at what Russia actually is is because it would draw some rather uncomfortable comparisons mm-hmm. with the situation that a lot of Western countries are in at the mm-hmm. minute. Uh, uh, population that's kept really only kept alive by kind of unthinking patriotism Mm. a reorganization of the history to Mm. honor the national story Mm -hmm. billionaires everywhere Mm -hmm. grotesque wealth inequality i think maybe if you actually looked at it like that it might be a little more uncomfortable but no no just keep it's an evil wizard in a tower mass hallucination like gargamel (laughs) is it's it's baffling People like James O'Brien, and actually, on like from that point all the way into all the conservative um, commentary as well, are sadder that the wall fell than all of us left wingers. Yeah, like I, the I world is the world. The world without that, without that thing, it's an it's a, it, it comes across. I I I think about that quite a lot because you know re-rehearsing this Cold War has been a huge thing, mm. probably. Last five years to cope with the dislocate political dislocations that have happened, Brexit, yeah. Trump, all that. Retreating back into Cold War certainties has been a a kind of decent thing for people to do to be able to cope. Mm. And yeah. it's not so much that they actively advance 
a horror, a, a kind of sadness at it. But there's this void when they talk mm. at the centre of their thinking in that they, again, it's they just assume that that is the case, mm. that you are facing the same enemy, the same dividing lines, and they're being drawn back to the front again to defend exactly the same things. Mm. Not considering whether the thing that they're defending, not actually defending, by the way, ideologically defending, mm. like rhetorically defending, mm. is actually the thing they think it is, or exist in any way, democracy, liberty, any of these ideals are the same as they imagine they are. Mm. But it's just, it's just this, it's, without that clear-eyed view, you don't have any leg to stand on in any kind of thing. You can't even successfully repel it, which, you know, although so far Putin hasn't actually invaded, they haven't successfully repelled it. They've withdrawn everything Mm. because they don't really know what they're, what no. their plan is. They don't have a plan. No. Russian tanks sit... Tanks again. Russian mm-hmm. tanks. Love those tanks. Mm-hmm. Russian tanks sit, engines revving. For oh, yeah. <laughs> engines revving on the verge of annexing Ukraine. Are they going to annex Ukraine? Is, is that it... the plan? Do they rev and like, like um, burn donuts tanks? Because like, I know modern oh, tanks... Oh, no. Someone has Modern 100... tanks are like faster than like the oldie tank. But can you like really rev and like properly get like a proper screech on like... Go. I'm pretty sure I've seen specifically Russian military manoeuvres where they've done that. And <laughs> you've got to imagine every single division does that when they're bored. Yeah, they must. 100%. Um, on the verge of annexing Ukraine, but protest placards waved here by the usual suspects condemn NATO, not Moscow. There we go. That's not him. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any evidence for that. That doesn't sound like something he would say because he's guarded. Mm. He's conservative. He wouldn't. Mm. I don't think he would do that, Starmer. Not absolving him in any way he's got his name on it it's yeah. him okay for all intents and purposes it's him but and what the fuck do they expect people to do to Russia by condemning it mm. it's like because um, it's like I heard um, when Ian Dale, Ian Dale was shouting at stop the war person um, said why aren't you protesting the Kremlin and it's like well <laughs> I can't not Russian I'm not Russian not I don't live there and you've just told me that, that that Putin is a dictator that does anything that he wants. What good would it do? Yeah. We supposedly live in a democracy where I can voice my opinion. And where your protest also. actually matters. Apparently. In theory. <laughs> but no, no, no. Uh, any equating of the right of a sovereign nation to determine its own future, even to exist, mm-hmm. and the vicious aggression of a neighbour is an intellectual sham. To do so is not merely misguided. It is morally wrong. Now, if we're talking about the main Russian strategy of the last few years, which seems to be roughly to slice off Russian-speaking portions of territories and make them kind of either notionally independent or like a a suzerain of Mm. some kind, to keep the satellite states around them, if not like compliant at the threat of Russian invasion, then keep them off balance. They don't really know what Russia's going to do, but they know they can do it to them any time. You know, again, without Russia having to commit to like full mobilization, full scale annexation. By the way, it's fully, I think, two thirds of the Russian military. If there's 130,000 troops, it's fully two thirds of the Russian military at the Ukraine border. That's that's not a sustainable thing, is it? No. Not with all those borders. Not with all all that going on. Um, Yeah. So they they don't have to commit to full scale annexation. They don't have to fully mobilize. And you have that maximum like positive patriotic consumption at home, Mm -hmm. right? If that is what is like morally wrong about what Russia's doing, I've got some really fucking bad news for you about Israel, Palestine, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Libya, Venezuela, Cuba, Bahrain. I could go on. <laughs> um, that sovereign nation bullshit is just 
only ever deployed exactly as often as mm. pro-war voices need it to be. Yeah. And as soon as it's inconvenient, nation states are insular. They're backwards. They're dangerous. They don't. They don't like outsiders. Mm-hmm. You know, they're limiting their capability by not joining the community of nations. All that kind of shit. And it just, you know, it. It's just the fact that he said it's morally wrong. There's mm-hmm. nothing moral about this shit. It's two powers fucking butting heads over a third country. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's real politic. It's not morals. It's not ethics. Mm. It's not justice. It's selective you choosing to use these things. No, I saw that granny being trained by a neo-Nazi how to shoot people. <laughs> and it is also incredible that the number of um, kind of pro-European voices that kind of throw themselves in on this, you know, the FUBP kind of mm. crowd. When we're talking about economics or socialism in one country or something like that, you'll hear about how we don't want the world compartmentalised into nation states. Scottish independence? No. Less nationalism. Mm. We can't have that. But no, when it's time for some good old-fashioned intra-imperial conflict, you can't get those fucking borders up and those nation states back fast enough. <laughs> Sovereign nation. Fuck off. Oh, and all those fuppy people would have been, in the olden days, would have been proud warriors for Christendom. <laughs> um... There is no equivalence between a defensive alliance that has never provoked conflict, conflict, citation needed, and those who would inflict the appalling cost of war onto others. No, pushing war onto other people, that's something we would never want. We would never want to stoke up the fires of war in every nation and then not do anything but to arm the country that we were talking about, (laughs) which is specifically what's happening now. And as for defensive, NATO has nuclear weapons in Turkey. (laughs) Let Russia put nukes in Calais, and then we'll talk. Yeah. Or maybe in independent Wales. That's how you get a nuclear-armed independent Wales. There we go. I don't want nuclear Short of developing Wales. Metal Gear. I don't want nuclear weapons in Wales. Oh, Look, shit. Hugh, it's the only way. It's like slight segue, but um, the Welsh Shadow Minister, the Labour Welsh Shadow Minister, yeah. said that she doesn't like nationalism. Mm-hmm. It's bad. And in the same in the same speech, praised Keir Starmer's patriotism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, oh, well, that's the switch. Yeah. They're going to keep doing that switch between nationalism and love patriotism. It. Love it so patriotism much. is about love, Hugh, yeah? Nationalism yeah. is about divisiveness. It's about hate. But I swear to God if those Russian jets come in. <laughs> come one step closer to Ukraine. Um, Moscow's hardline leadership won't see a rally on the streets of Britain as a reason to pull its tanks from Ukraine's borders. All it will see is naivety and weakness. Virtue signalers in the West providing a smokescreen so it can go on beating up and jailing those brave individuals who dare to stand up to its despotism on the streets of Russia. Oh, fucking hell. Virtue signalers. Oh, good. I'm glad that that word got a little exercise Mm. in the fucking Labour Party leader. (laughs) NATO is just one part of the rules-based international system that allows for collective action, but it is a vital one. It should be supported and its resolve strengthened, not undermined by ill-thought-out opposition. Nothing Stop the War does will at all undermine um, NATO's operations. It does not require a population's um, consent to operate. It has no interactions with the democratic states other than inviting their foreign ministers. It's that's it. Like it doesn't. It doesn't fucking matter. Mm. It does not fucking matter. And. Again, rules-based international order. Sorry, went out the window with Iraq, yeah. with Syria, yeah. with drone strikes. It, sorry, it's done. Mm. You, you, you wanted it. If you want it, you are going to have to work really hard to fucking get it back. And this particular thing is not how you're going to do it. No. So yeah, that was uh, that was his article, and it's it's 
it's typical of a type of thing that he's Starmer's chosen to do it and stop the war, which seems like the fucking most pointless thing in the world. No one cares about it other than a bunch of cranky agrocentrists. Yeah, well, no the whole, one cares. well, they're, they're the people that he loves, and it's like. So the whole point of it is obviously putting, reminding everyone that Labour are a trustworthy home for all your war aggression. Mm. Like, notice me, Corn. I love you. <laughs> but because it's the Labour Party, because it's Keir Starmer doing it, it's still kind of pathetic. They're still not the. They're still not going to be. If you're going to choose, if you're going to put all your backing behind a party that you all because you'd be guaranteed is going to do the wars you want, mm. still not going to go with it. Yeah. I mean, this is because this... why bother? We've we've gone beyond that now. We don't need. They don't need to like jump over to the Labour Party because the Tories have gotten too shit. They've shown that the Tories can carry on being shit and do everything that they want. It's a classic thing of they've turned they've turned what is a very unlikely scenario. I, I honestly, again, any look, anything could be true. Mm-hmm. Anything could fucking happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it seems to me really, really unlikely that even if Russia were to provoke some kind of action in Ukraine, do some action in Ukraine, or the other way around, I don't know, engineer a border incident, Ukraine engineers a border incident to kind of get it all started. I don't know. It, anything could happen. This None of this rhetoric is about actual foreign policy. No. It is only about disciplining the people in your own country mm-hmm. for the next time it happens, mm-hmm. for an easier time, because they want an easier time. If you get a Syria... They probably handle a Syria, maybe, mm-hmm. or you know, a Lebanon. Mm. Lebanon would be easier. It's much smaller. Mm-hmm. Myanmar, maybe. Mm. Oh no, no one gives a shit about Myanmar. No, it's fine. Um, but everyone just sees it as their like the the right have had a fairly easy time of this because they can just like try and be epic and go get all their Book of World War one-liners. Yeah, and just go. There is a whiff of Munich in the air, like Ben Wallace said. Or really, yeah. Or uh, Armed Forces Minister James Heapy, James Heapy said that uh, Europe is closer to war than it's been for 70 years. You know, ignoring Cyprus, <laughs> the Balkans, and more specifically, Ukraine since 2014. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it also kind of, yeah, uh, you know, they can say the Iron Curtain's falling over Europe. They can say the lights are going out over Europe, uh, appeasement. And it's only for, a domestic, for domestic consumption. There's even a, a, a huge range of journalists who are going around saying, you know, it's not just that you that these opinions are wrong. You can't voice them because if you voice them, the Kremlin might use your tweet and r- use it for a Russian domestic audience to convince them that Britain, actually, British people actually don't want to fight. And I, it's like, yeah, they, they don't. Like, like, they don't. Two days ago, I was talking to someone about um, the Atoff Battalion. Hmm. And I am certain that Russian spies filmed me and played me on a big screen in Red Square <laughs> as propaganda. Yeah, this isn't... I'm sorry, Paul Mason. <laughs> I'm sorry I did that. It's odd that it's only kind of... It's it's mainly been the liberal and the left taking the, the front in this one. I mean, obviously, like you can rely on conservatives to be that, but mm-hmm. they don't have to put a lot of effort into it. And also, this isn't... This isn't going to be their war mm-hmm. because, I mean, aside from the very material conditions around the Tory party and Russian money, yeah, um, there isn't the kind of enthusiasm because up until about five years ago, there was this kind of tacit approval of the kind of social and national 
program. At the very least, you were kind of mirroring it in a certain mm. way. You were inviting Russian speakers over, yeah. or, or similar Putin-esque speakers from Hungary or yeah. places like that to to speak on on your behalf. Because like that's just a it's just a mirror image. If you're just talking about polities, it's a mirror image of yeah. You know, United Russia is a mirror image of what's happening in Hungary and with the judiciary and with the rule of law and all that kind of shit. Yeah. And the right, but the right also doesn't have one of its biggest uh, weapons in its arsenal that it had for the war on terror, which was clash of civilizations. Yeah. You know, repelling the Slav from the Dnieper doesn't have quite the same ring to it as keeping the Musulman from the Danube. Yeah. But they are kind of talking in these in these same apocalyptic terms, but it's only really the sizzle. It's not the stake. It's not. There's not a civilizational battle at stake so they just can't they can talk about values i guess but there's not without that racialized element mm. there's nothing there to it until they manufacture a trojan horse thing but yeah. for russians i guess i suppose they have used it to talk about how um wokeness makes you weak mm. uh, you know it undermines western values or whatever maybe they'll they've, come out they've they've used all, that. all the best like um all the best places to get illicit copies of Games Workshop miniatures all seem to be coming from Russia. So maybe they'll be <laughs> supporting lot, they'll there? be supporting Games Workshop by going in to end this incredible this insidious crime. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's only really the left and the liberals who are really agonizingly um temperamental yeah. over this, you know? All of the stuff about poor, conspiracy theorists mm. think this is about the extension of NATO you are Putin's baby rube. Yeah. You have fully bought into Putin's lies and disinformation. And to prove it, we are going to extend NATO into Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Nothing will ever stop us yeah. from doing the thing that you said was a conspiracy theory. We will only not believe that Putin is the evilest man on, on the planet when he joins NATO. <laughs> and, you know, all the stuff about... Can you imagine if Corbyn was in charge? It's like... What would he do? Would he withdraw troops from Ukraine <laughs> like they're doing now? Yeah. I good. I don't particularly want Corbyn the West to get involved. That's Labour what Party, being an anti-intervention Labour is. Party it, Corbyn was was still pro NATO. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Inventing, it was one of my many issues with Corbyn's Labour. Inventing whole cloth things that they think yeah. Well, no, that they think they lie about what was in yeah. manifestos and the policy, even the stances. Yeah. They never suggested they were going to leave NATO. Not once. No. Never. They didn't talk about giving up nuclear weapons. No, I don't think they, they did. They didn't talk about anything, suspending military cooperation. But no, they did, because it because that was what they needed. Mm. And oh. it's it's crazy. And I guess, like, ultimately, for... Um, liberal hawks again it's it's that thing of using a foreign policy issue to direct to police kind of internally not Mm -hmm. for this war but for the next war um and it's like a perfect solution for them as well because like the liberal left feel like they struggle with patriotism and nationalism they're sort of a the the military as well is sort of like a sop yeah to be able to kind of replace the social democracy that they no longer support mm. you know it's a way of doing if you can get kids into the into into an expanding army if you can put more money into that if you know you don't have to commit to social programs that aren't tied to the military you can recruit like recruitment solves youth employment and you know 
you get to integrate the nation, you get mm. to make the nation feel good about itself, you get to beef up emergency responses against things like floods. And it's like, it's perfect, because it's a social democracy that never demands anything of them. You can mm. just, like, hive it off to this other state institution. Mm. And most importantly, it doesn't involve them actually conflicting with anybody. Mm. You don't have to conflict with cap the capitalist shards that would otherwise oppose you if you tried to raise their taxes. Yeah. And it is interesting, like this particular case of the new Cold War, whether the new Cold War is against China or it's against Russia or whoever, the whole thing seems to be, you know, modelled around the World War II in the sense that the highest duty of the UK military is to intervene to prevent police states, hmm. unless there's a police state that we like and then we'll keep it there. But, it's a, but it is very interesting because it's like that, that lack of a clear-eyed view about what actually goes on in Russia day to day and, and, and how that state operates it's a very aesthetic response to international mm. relations they can't actually point to things i mean you can point to many many things about the russian about russia yeah. and its laws that are actively incredibly oppressive and horrific but what they do is when they're going to invade somewhere like ukraine they raise the specter of nazi germany invading and police on every streets and mm. checkpoints and all that kind of thing. it's a very aesthetic mm. attitude towards international responses as if the way it looks is the harm that it does. Yeah. You know? And it's very dependent on images you've received from screens. It's why World War Two is the most like weirdly is the most is the most popular one. You think Vietnam, I guess the UK wasn't involved in Vietnam, but mm. World War Two is the kind of most popular kind of imagery you take from that. And maybe it is like echoes of the Cold War liberal or the fact that a number of them, the, the ones that you will see defending this, have roles in the media and so their job is largely through imagery and illusion and words lies basically <laughs> and it's very interesting the kind of roads that this leads you down because they don't view international relations as a consistently and constantly negotiated process where yeah you might have little wars but it's not not every war is total war hmm. but if you have are in that world war Two mindset where everything is police states and everything is good against evil all you have is all wars are total uh, end by total unconditional victory by one side or the other. You know, sometimes in real life, someone has a war and someone wins and loses and it's fucking terrible. Someone gets weaker, some state gets stronger, and sometimes not at all, sometimes nothing changes. But this particular image of war, it creates this terrible and almost genocidal mentality among mm. these people where every war is for the survival of a particular system or a particular political unit. And that's all war is. Yeah. Every war you have to commit fully everything because it's about everything. Mm. And when you've taken everything else off the table and war is all there is, and this kind of war is all there is, it's fucking terrible. Mm. It's a fucking terrible way of being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the key question, it's, it's this kind of like blinkered kind of view that leads... The, the, that leads you to ask the question that should be being asked is what are exactly the UK's objectives for Starmer and the Liberal Hawks what are the UK's objectives mm. because they talk a lot about standing with allies and solidarity and providing yeah. material aid big bald fucks that they are mm. but they don't actually they don't actually think they're going to war no. and even if they did go to war what would the objectives be would it be to completely defend UK, uh, Ukraine from a Russian invasion along a constant border forever mm. would it be um, directly keeping them off Ukraine territory? Would it be toppling Putin? Would that be the way that that ends? Would it be bulking up Ukraine to bog Russia down in a perpetual war that eventually leads to the toppling of Putin and leads to regime change? Because mm. that, that is kind of what it sounds like the 
if the, an invasion happened, that that's probably what they would try and do. Mm. Which, you know, considering they all consider themselves to have the moral high ground, <laughs> is just... They all consider themselves to have the moral high ground by the most likely outcome being entrenching an entire country's people in a perpetual conflict to soothe your own conscience. <laughs> like, it's, it's not exactly like being brave... That's no. the thing I think you get out of this. I don't actually want to see any war. Any intervention is an imperialist intervention. Mm. We are an imperialist country. But to kind of flag all this up and then to just go, oh, yeah, no, we're the bravest people imaginable. We supported airdropping <laughs> ammo <laughs> to the Ukrainian military well, not even to the Ukrainian from a military. distance. We supported airdropping ammunition and guns to a bunch of neo-Nazis on the border. <laughs> And, you know, it's, uh, it's perfect for them as well, because if they are really only contained to imagery, then, of course, having that kind of perpetual drag-out conflict is perfect because you get to have a constant feed of images of the oppressed and the oppressor. Mm -hmm. You get to not have a politically negotiated solution, which mm -hmm. is actually what most conflicts would need. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to... You get to have all of the domestic influence that you had for being on the brave side, being on the right side mm -hmm. of history being on the side with all the guns. Mm. And, you know, it's it, the, Russia is the perfect kind of imaginary opponent because, you know, for the last six years, they've been able to blame everything on this bad actor rather than actually taking responsibility for their own role in the political chaos of their countries. Mm. Most of those people on one side or the other had the Brexit vote. Most of them had opinions on the complete decline of their uh, like established political parties and their established governments. And as we talked about last week, the decline to the point where these governments actually don't seem like they ever could get anything done, mm. let alone if they had the political will. Even if they had that, they couldn't physically do it mm. because they have enmeshed themselves in these capitalist structures so hard that it has become impossible to build a road without spending 10 times the amount and paying a company to do it. Mm. And that's political gridlock. Mm. And these people see the war as a way out of that and a way of congratulating themselves for a social democracy they never helped build mm. because they couldn't and they didn't want to. Yeah. And all it takes is, you know, regime change in a country with the world's second largest military. It's fine. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, Speaking of regime change, it is worth raising the question with these people as well. While we're talking about hypotheticals, let's say Putin is ousted mm. and the particulars of the way that the United Russia Party is enmeshed in the Russian state are removed. Um, what would you put in its place? You know, I mean... I'd give power to the second party in Russia. <laughs> I know you would. We all, No, they're, they're not that great. They support Putin. Yeah. They're not great. Um, I mean, but in, in all seriousness, you'd do, you do what we did at the end of the Cold War. You know, you'd presumably put in a more liberal party in place. Nominated, of course, not elected. We can't, yeah. can't really risk that. But, you know, good... Social Democrats, you know, they're the ones who will raise taxes for social programmes. No public ownership, of course, that's not the world we live no. in. Um, you know, we'll need some of the good capitalists sprinkled in to help rebuild the economy. Mm -hmm. But it'll just be a, a, a party committed to justice. It'll be a party made up of the most talented people. Some might call them technocrats, but they're just people from the professional classes, sensible people who know how to compromise and get things done. Um, of course, they won't ever be able to neglect the very strong feelings of ordinary people towards patriotism and nationalism and being proud of your country um 
they'll need to keep the police strong, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's just required for strong rule of law. And, you know, sometimes there will be things that for national security reasons, they'll have to let the FSB off the leash a little bit and maybe, you know, they don't have to... It's giving them the resource. All I'm saying is it's giving the FSB the resources and the laws they need to prosecute the right people. Yeah. They can be very dangerous sometimes, these they right can. people. And particularly, you know... People who, you know, threaten the social fabric of the country, people who protest too hard, you know, they take liberties with with uh, what they've been given. And, you know, these this party, they'll have to, well, you know, it's a, it's a difficult world, especially with the immigration happening as it is, so they'll have to take a hard line on that, you know. They'll know when immigrants are a help and when they're a handful. And, uh, you know, this, this party, I think it's a, an absolute red line that they will always support LGB causes. And, you know, if unions and minorities get out of control with just outrageous demands that would bankrupt the country, they will rightly condemn and work with law enforcement to restore order. It's, it has to be an orderly state. And But, you know, similarly, if capital gets out of control and becomes corrupt and rampant, they will definitely be very concerned. Um, oh, and don't make any mistake. These, liber- these aren't the liberals you've read about in conservative newspapers. Oh, no, these are strong on defence these Russian liberals, mm. they are going to need a very strong deterrent for those who would threaten their interests at home and abroad. Let's face yeah. it, they will have interests <laughs> abroad. Uh, they won't hesitate to authorise military action or press the button if their nation is in uh, danger or threatened from, <laughs> a, from, a, from abroad or their interests are threatened. They, they will always protect their citizens <laughs> abroad is what I'm saying. And, you know, after this, all they need is a, a leader with good hair who can take a memo and we've got a functioning modern liberal democracy. OK, that's us for this week. You can follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast on Twitter. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Struggle Ruffian. Uh, are you twitching this week? Yeah, I'm back on I'm go- on fr- for Friday. I'm back. Yeah. On Friday, you will be back. So go to yeah. twitch.tv slash Struggle Ruffian yeah. to see Hugh struggle with ruffians. While playing Yakuza. So yeah. While being a ruffian. Yeah. Oh. But fighting am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover 